In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call this dilemma dilemma the Verhoeven effect. It's like, what's that? I'm a meat popsicle. That's from the fifth <laughs> element. Tell your friends, you're listening to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. We have another very special episode. We have the 1968 movie, Planet of the Apes. Nathan, do you have a history with this movie? Oh, yeah. I've watched this movie like 20 times. Okay. I like this movie. It's cool. It's another movie where the bad guy's like right. It's one of those movies. <laughs> Where it's like, well, if you don't like Dr. Zayas, it's like, he's not wrong. <laughs> I think this is the, the first time I ever like, sat down and watched this movie all the way through because this is a movie that's been eviscerated or vivisected by pop culture. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, don't the no... Simpsons like have to reference this every 20 episodes? Like, oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. some kind of thing like Most, that? Yeah, mostly what I know about this movie is from The Simpsons. Okay, okay. And every once in a while, that one weird like i can't even remember the context for it but they ha- they're watching like a planet of the apes musical and they have like dr zayas dr zayas oh yeah it's doing the, the falco song from yeah amadeus it's dr zayas yeah that's amazing that sounds like something conan o'brien came up with yeah probably so yeah like you know and of course it was on all the time and i've probably actually seen more more most of the way through of the of the of the sequels than probably the original uh then of course I saw the Tim Burton one, and I've seen all the recent ones. So. Yeah, I've seen never all se- of them. I've never seen any of the TV shows, though. TV shows are what got me interested in this. Really? Yeah, because I think the TV show only lasted like one season. But I was always like, because it was playing after school when I was a little kid. Yeah. Planet of the Apes TV show. I was like, what's the backdrop to all this? Who are these? What are they talking about? And I just wanted to know more about it. And that's why when I watched the... Uh, uh, you know the original one. Now, which one did you? Because I, I I read I read that there I haven't seen either, so I don't know. You know the for, they said there's one is animated and one is live action, so I don't know which one you saw. I saw the live action one. I know there's an okay. animated one, but I've never I haven't seen that. I just okay. only recently, within the last two years, watched the animated Star Trek because I just I never got around it. to it. it. Huh? I hear it's good and like it's weirdly like it's like it's like a one long story rather than just yeah. Like, episodic yeah <laughs> because people have kind of like dragged it back into the canon because um i don't even know like that came about was that just because like oh we can't it's too expensive to make a new season so we're just going to make an animated one and get the voice actors back <laughs> i yeah i don't really actually know the history about it um i mean because it's yeah i think a lot of it was the actual people were voicing it yeah yeah i mean yeah it's the main people doing the voice and i know they could do like weird aliens in that like that really were weird because they could they weren't just limited to bipedal you know humans with (laughs) spiky heads so uh, yeah they had guys like six arms and stuff and but i I don't know if they i don't know like why it came about if it was just like cheaper to produce or if it was in that wake of 
oh crap, we cancel Star Trek and it's really the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> I think it was more part of that and a way to keep the franchise going until they could figure out what they were doing with Star Trek Phase 2. Okay. Which yeah. became Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is the best and the worst of Star Trek all in <laughs> one film. Uh, but yeah. That was And like, there was only like one season of the animated series, right? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it didn't last very long. Um, they they talk are, are, about well, how many episodes because sometimes like this cartoon had one season but it has like thirty five episodes. I think I remember it was like, like twenty. Okay, that seems normal. Yeah, because I know it, it actually disc- You know, there's the Klingon proverb everyone knows from Wrath of Khan about revenge is a dish best served cold. <laughs> That's not my favorite Klingon proverb though. My favorite Klingon proverb is only a fool fights in a burning house. <laughs> and it was used in the TV series. Uh, I forget because the, there was some entity trying to turn the Klingons and the humans against each other fighting on the Enterprise. But they, they both figured out it's like, oh, it's influencing us. And that's when I first heard that term because the Klingon captain is like, I'm not going to fight you, Kirk. Only a fool fights in a burning house. The ship's going to blow up anyway. I don't care. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then they actually expanded on like Klingon philosophy of honor <laughs> and um, – what was it? It explained like the Klingon philosophy of honor and prudence. It's like, because why do we lose, use cloaking devices? Aren't those cowardly? It's like, well, when fighting the Federation, who's a superior enemy, you need all the advantages you can. You can't just, so it's like, don't burn your house down for honor, basically, by not using. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's way nuanced and crazy for an animated TV show from the 70s to, <laughs> to have two Klingons sit down and philosophize of like this. But yeah, um, it has nothing to do with then, this movie, but yeah. I, I don't know. Like this movie is pretty much just an expensive episode of Star Trek. Yeah, it's same, yeah, it's just basically the same special effects universe. Um, uh, the guy from uh, the Twilight Zone wrote the script. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is very close. I mean, it's it's around the same time. Yeah, it's so. '60s. It's the late '60s. It's we're all you know. It's that that because it's a bunch of TV people that made a movie essentially. <laughs> it was, that's how it worked. Now, did you get to watch this movie not knowing the twist at the end? I did not know the twist at the end. Okay. <laughs> was that awesome or what? Yeah, actually it was. I was like, oh, cool. Because I was always into like Doomsday as a kid and an adult too. So <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, this fits right in. But I knew from the TV show that like humans were first. So I knew that like, oh, humans existed before the apes. Uh, but I didn't know like until the end because it took me a while to understand it's like, oh, did they, you know, it's like, oh, they're in New York City. It's like, oh, no, wait a minute. Yeah, it's like, no, that's just wrecked. Because I remember, because I, I watched this as a real little kid, like eight years old. <laughs> and, and then much later, as, you know, like 12 or 13. And I, you know. Because, uh, like, as, as me growing up, the only thing I knew about this movie was the twist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's no way I was going to watch this movie without that being spoiled. Yeah, and yeah, it's like the biggest thing in in because <laughs> it was it was also like Charlton Heston, you know. It's like everyone remembers it for two reasons: the twist and his performance at yeah. the end, because that's classic Charlton Heston. By the way, he wrote that dialogue; like he was oh, the yeah, one yeah. who threw that in. It wasn't that it, it was improvised. The twist was there, but it's like you ruined it all. Damn you! You know that was him. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's totally. That's what he does because that's like. I think on some level that's terrible dialogue and even the performance isn't great, but he brings an energy to it that like almost nobody can. It's like, here's bad dialogue, make something out of it. And it's great. Oh yeah. I mean, 
I wouldn't want Charlton Heston to be anything other than Charlton Heston, and because I like yeah. him in all his movies. I love Sword and Sandals, Charlton Heston. I love post-apocalyptic Charlton Heston. I, <laughs> it's all great. Just like it's like William Shatner. It's just like oh, you know, it's going to be crazy, but you're going to like it. Come <laughs> It's like no one could do that, and no one can. And, you know, and then you got Patrick Stewart, like Shakespearean trained actor. It's like I like Captain Picard too. But if he started acting like William Shatner, it'd be really weird. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, if you've ever seen The Twilight Zone, it's like the ending of this is like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly, yeah. That's why all this, you know, that's why talking about Star Trek isn't out of hand. Because that and Twilight Zone and all the other like 800 different anthology series that were out that you never knew existed. <laughs> yeah, that basically had like four people writing on them instead of like a, a room full of people. <laughs> this is why Rod Serling smoked a lot. <laughs> Not only did he show up at the beginning of the Twilight Zone, he wrote almost all the episodes. And those are the ones that made it. I can imagine how yeah. many he wrote that like never made it. <laughs> yeah, maybe they ended up in those other anthology series. <laughs> oh, I've watched all. It's like anything Rod Serling. It's like I'm watching it's just like Ray Bradbury. It's like I'm combing the archives for all the Ray Bradbury, the unpublished works. Uh, it was directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. Yep. Who, I don't know, I don't, I, he, like two years later he did Patton, so that's a pretty good run. Uh, also known for The Boys from Brazil and Papillon. So yeah, that's kind of, he seems like he's kind of like, um, he gets big films. Yeah. And he was also like uh, the head of the G DGA, so. Okay. So he was like one of these guys that like, he, I think he worked through that, what they call the studio system. Yeah, yeah. And definitely. he just, you know, came through and, and did that. And then got a job representing directors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why work when you don't have to? <laughs> yeah, just right kind of. He died kind of young. Well, he's 69, but that's that's kind of young. I don't <laughs> nice. know. Maybe. I don't know. Back in the whiskey and cigarettes <laughs> day, maybe not. I'm not sure. Uh, cinematographer is Leon Shamroy. Uh, he kind of, he definitely seems like a studio guy because he, he has 121 credits. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of stuff I recognize, but he did do like the Cleopatra movie with, uh, oh, what's her name? Elizabeth Taylor, which I remember that. I don't know. I've never seen that. I remember like people talk about that being a huge movie, so I don't even know if it's good, but. Yeah, it is. It kind of, it, I mean, it kind of seemed like that thing, like it'd show up on TV where it's like, oh, we're showing, you know, the Ten Commandments this week and then <laughs> next week we're showing Cleopatra. Yeah, it's kind of in that. Yeah, it's kind of in that. Again, those are what they call the sword and sandals films. Yeah, because see that uh, that that was weird. Like um, that was interesting, the transition. Because two some of my favorite movies are the Ten Commandments, Ben Hur, and uh, there was a couple other of those movies. But it's interesting. Like uh, Charlton Heston made that transition. It's like oh, they because in the fifties and early sixties he was that guy. And then in the mid to late 60s, he became this guy. And it's kind of like it's just a cultural shift that he actually wrote. It's like, oh, they don't want that kind of fiction anymore. They want this kind of <laughs> fiction. And it's like, I'm going to fit right into this, which is it's, it's kind of amazing. But, yeah, there was a lot of movies like that around. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Was he ever in any Westerns? Because that was still like at this time the predominant thing. <laughs> I'm not sure. I met he had to have. Yeah, the one interesting I picked up that this guy shot as well, and also Heston was in it, was The Agony and the Ecstasy, which I guess is about Michelangelo working on the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> oh, okay. Where he plays Michelangelo. 
Oh, yeah, wait, no, does he? Yeah, yeah, he plays Michelangelo. Okay. Which I never heard of. I was just like, that's a weird name for a movie. What's that? It's like, huh, okay, these guys work together, like, <laughs> three years apart. Oh, maybe work with them again. I'm not sure I didn't. I didn't parse that enough. Uh, this is written by Michael Wilson, or I guess adapted by Michael Wilson and Rod Serling. So it's an and. Yeah. Not not the symbol, so it's the word, so they wrote it separately. He's got some good, yeah, wrote Lawrence Arabia and Bridge Over the River Kwai. So yeah, that's a, those are some, some pretty solid things to have. <laughs> and, of course, Rod Serling, which, you know, it's Twilight Zone, so it definitely fits in here. Oh, yeah. Um, Based on the book, Planet of the Apes by Pierre Boulle. Yeah, which is a French novel. <laughs> yeah, I've I got a English translation of it to read, yeah. and I was, I found it exceedingly boring. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I listened to the book on tape because Am- Audible has a special. If you have Audible, you can listen to it for free. So that was oh, cool. I didn't know that. Maybe I would maybe I would have got more out of it on tape. I found it kind of boring to read. Because I thought it was interesting, but it's you know. It's I don't know. There's like there's a weird like framework to it that like you don't expect, because um, it starts off with there's like a there's like a rich couple that's like gallivanting about the stars. Yeah, it's like in a space yacht. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there's like and their system has three suns, so they basically have all the solar wind they can get. Yeah. <laughs> and then they find out they find a, a message in a bottle in the middle of space. Like, man, that's a get. <laughs> in space you found this in three-dimensional space <laughs> you found this message uh so yeah i listened to the books so i was like so just to prep for that because like oh it's only five hours i'll get through it so i i was i was i thought it was kind of interesting but it's mostly i mean like the whole in the book it's all just like they literally go to another planet yeah the big surprise there is the first thing they see is humans like that's that's weird this we shouldn't find people exactly like ourselves completely on the other side of the galaxy yeah and then they find out like oh they're not the predominant species so now it's like you know they, and then they get shuffled in the mix and now they're like treated like animals even though they're intelligent and, and there's also a weird thing here where it's like they make the ape civilization in the book like way more sophisticated like yeah it's like a space civilization almost yeah they're just on the edge of going into space like they're putting satellites in space here it's basically like like they have technology but like they're not venture like they're they're pretty secluded they're not venturing with they're not going around in planes they don't have like cars and stuff like that here yeah the thing i liked about this when you when you watch the movie and you follow it all the way through like the ape civilization is like Oh, it's almost feudal in in how it works, but they have like firearms and stuff, which would actually make sense because they're just building off an older civilization, ours. You come to find out, and yeah. it's like, yeah, they maybe wouldn't have like petroleum and and cars and stuff like, or, or not widely. Uh, yeah, and also they have a very uh, they have this this very um, uh, what would you call it like kind of religiously run theocratic state. Where they do have like science and stuff like that, but it's 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 like these are like scientists in like the 18th century, you know? It's like yeah. those kind of that kind of science. It's like we under understand some things, but we also have to kind of blend it with theology so we don't get like crucified or whatever. <laughs> like they're not out of that phase yet, which would like that actually makes sense because it's uh yeah it's like oh no they 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 
the 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 precursor technology that they're building everything off of they're actually afraid of because of how that ended <laughs> it's like yeah. oh okay we got we gotta we're gonna throttle this back a little bit and we're gonna have a little more statues a little more philosophy a little <laughs> less technology uh, even though they're actually acting the exact same way as people <laughs> that's like the apes people are not that different and and there's a weird section in the book where it's like basically assassin's creed but it's doing it before them i mean it may have been a long concept but like the idea of racial memory or that you can tap into the history of your ancestors and like look back on like yes. a simulation of it uh that's in the book where they basically see like because in the book it's like humans came first and then the apes rose up but this is still on a completely different planet <laughs> yeah uh and like I, I there's also some idea of that there was a that every planet with humans has like a greater civilization that basically came by and dropped off some people. And so there's always a greater civilization that's beyond us that we don't know who they are. The space elves, from. they're out there yeah. spreading wisdom. <laughs> we're just, we're just, we're, we're the crude, Johnny Appleseed in the universe. <laughs> we are the crude children of gods. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Jerry Goldsmith out. did the soundtrack to this movie too. Who's that? Oh, he does. The... Oh, Jerry. I thought you said Yuri Goldsmith. No, I'm like, like Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have two Fox films in a row. So, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I also know, like, the other thing I know about, like, this series was used as, like, a as sort of an experiment with Fox of how, how to do sequels. Okay. Because at that time, sequels always made less money than the originals. So, they're. The thing is, with every subsequent movie, they just cut the budget in half and then put out another movie until they couldn't put out another movie. <laughs> yeah, the old sequel math. <laughs> now it's like flipped. <laughs> yeah, now it's like uh, we just got to film. We don't just make one movie as a sequel. We film three at the same time. So, so we shave like $20 million off the cost. But When this movie also came out after their, uh, they had a big bomb uh, what was their big bomb? It was the, the Nutty Professor, I think. Oh, really? Or no? Oh, okay. What was the? I, no, it was another one. I can't remember. Anyway, the, this Doctor Doolittle or something. Yes, <laughs> Doctor Doolittle. That's it. Yeah, they had that, and then they had this, and then they're like, "Well, this is our last throw of the dice," because Doctor Doolittle. I think they spent seventeen million dollars, and that's in sixties bucks, and they made <laughs> back like three million, which is like, well, that's uh, you know, that's we're, we're dead. So yeah, this movie had to. Had to do big, and it did. Or was it? Was it Doctor Doolittle? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm thinking of the recent Doctor Doolittle bomb with like, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy, you know, uh, to, you know, Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Oh yeah, the um, yeah, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember, like, everything I've seen in that movie looks absolutely terrible and ridiculous, and also bombed so, <laughs> so i might be confused it'd be weird that a movie that was remade twice bombed twice <laughs> including the original yeah you think they'd learn at some point it's like well this <laughs> is actually, what I, actually i don't even know how well the the eddie murphy dr doolittle did i i think i think maybe that got a sequel so it must have done well enough for them <laughs> yeah eddie murphy can carry almost anything except pluto nash <laughs> yeah that's one of those yeah, there's yeah, there's a uh, Doctor Doolittle too for Eddie Murphy. So. Yeah, yeah, Pluto Nash is like a. <laughs> we probably gotta watch that sometime. I just know that as being a like crazy bomb because the reason you didn't because that came out like in the wake of the Matrix. 
and it's supposed to be a comedy like almost like on the level like but like a comedy mixed with like fifth element and it costs something like 160 million dollars it's like why would you ever invest that much money into a comedy yeah. no one's ever gonna go see that's that. weird and then it made like six million dollars at the box office like oh jesus christ yeah this this is dead on arrival <laughs> you just might as well burn all the film stock just to you know create some kind of artificial scarcity <laughs> so you could do a uh, you know a release later it's like there's only 100 of these made yeah, this movie cost like $6 million to make, but it made back $33 million. But that's like, those numbers I'm looking at are like, that's domestic. That's like 60 bucks. That'd probably be like $150 million. Yeah. Well, that's just domestic that, box office. Yeah, and that's also like price tickets. Tickets are cheaper then, so they're probably like, you know, probably like, oh, what would that be? They're probably like 15 million people saw that movie or yeah, something. Yeah, the movie ticket was like a buck or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then cast, of course, Charlton Heston. Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter. I think those last two are in ape costumes. Yep. <laughs> okay. Maurice Evans is Dr. Zayas. <laughs> James Whitmore is the president of the assembly. You'd know him from all kinds of... All these are like big 60s actors and actresses. I don't think any of these people are alive anymore. No. That's no. that's kind of like scary to think except, about. Except maybe the, the person who voiced... I don't know. Who voiced... Who did the voice of the like the cousin, the, the little cousin at the end of the movie? It's like fending off people. Oh, Lucius? Yeah. Ah, he's still alive. He's 83. <laughs> he's the only side. Oh, there's two surviving principal cast members of the Planet of the Apes, and he's one. Yeah, how is no the, the girl played Nova? Is she dead? Because she's really young in this, right? I don't know. Let me look. Linda Harrison? Yep, she's the last one. She's 70. Wow, she's 78 now. Holy <laughs> She looked like she was 16 in this movie. God. <laughs> so, that, yeah, those were the last two. Huh. I, I thought that everyone was dead. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's not quite World War One yet. But. No, not yet. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that everyone in World War One is now dead. Yeah, there's nobody <laughs> left. That's why you can make, like, All Quiet on the Western Front and have a techno soundtrack, because there's, like, no one to dispute it. It's like, yeah, we were into that stuff back then. So we have Aquilum. we got a spaceship flying through space. Uh, George Taylor, played by Charlton Heston, is logging an entry about, like, the progress of their mission. Uh, the rest of the crew is in cryosleep. And he's having a space smoke. <laughs> I love smoking in space. Like what? A, <laughs> like those are some amazing sh systems on those ships. I wrote down what the instruments say: Earth time twenty six seventy three, ship time nineteen seventy two, which means they left in nineteen seventy two, and they're in near speed light, and now it's this it's two thousand six hundred seventy three on Earth. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, you just gave up everything and left. Yeah, because uh, what's that near near light time dilations theory? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, theory. Yeah, I mean it's like theory of relativity. So, yeah. so it's got to be true. Squared. I forget how the equation works. It's something with MC, with e equals mc squared. But you like throw time in there, or maybe because c is a in in that equation, c is a constant. C is the speed of light. Yeah. Which I think maybe you can divert time out of. Anyways, I forget my physics class. We use that equation to figure things out. And the fun thing there is, if you happen to go faster than the speed of light in this equation. You would go backwards in time, which yeah. is where that stuff comes from. But yeah, that's also like where Star Trek gets its stuff from because it's, you know, how can it 
end up in the same place without this time dilation. It's like, well, because it's not technically going faster than the speed of light. It's going into subspace and doing magic and going, you know, somehow magically going faster than the speed of light by going into a separate universe that's smaller than them or something like that. <laughs> No, no, it's using oh. a gravity. Dra- it's basically doing the same thing they try. They were, oh yeah, your wormhole stuff. Yeah, they were yeah. trying to do in um, Event Horizon. That's why yeah. it's called a warp drive because it's creating a gravity field and you're shooting yourself <laughs> through it. You're warping space time, which but but you're you know but you're also using and the weirdest concept in Star Trek is inertial dampening. It's like <laughs> yeah, how can you go eight billion miles a second and then stop all of a sudden? Like, wouldn't every <laughs> cell in your body just explode? It's like. Well, no, it's inertial dampening. It's like, well, how does that work? Oh, it shunts the inertia into another universe. It's like, is that just a universe of pain where inertia is just bouncing around, killing everyone? Is that is that where like the pinhead people from, from Hellraiser are from? It's like, we're from the inertial dampening universe. Our atoms are being smashed constantly. <laughs> There's an even worse universe than the mirror universe where it's like way more evil and, un- and unrepenting. Well, didn't they do that in like the... Um, what was the one that no no that was something different never mind that was a two-dimensional universe there yeah, never mind we're getting way off track here Planet of the uh here he explains like time passing at near light speeds and how like how how little time passes for them but a lot of time passes around them which i always remember that i i, I got introduced to that concept from ender's game <laughs> yeah. but that was like people just talking about it even i didn't even read it then so <laughs> What's it, what that come out in like the eighties or seventies or something? Eighties, yeah. Okay, but yeah, I got. I'm not, but here, this is '68, so the concept must have been around for, or people must have been putting that concept into fiction for a while. Oh yeah. But, but people still stay away from it because it's too hard hard to get your head around. Where it's like, oh, they're traveling to another planet, and basically everyone they left behind is dead, and everyone they're going to is new. So yeah, let's not put that in our fiction. <laughs> yeah, that's like these are some hard men and women going into space, like. Goodbye, everyone. You'll be dust by the time I get back. <laughs> yeah, just that, that that last hug at the boarding gate like takes on a whole new dimension <laughs> when you're like traveling through time, and it's like you, you won't know if I make it to the other side because you know you'll be dead. Although it's weird, like reading the book where it's like a lot of the concepts where I thought like the expanse made it clear about how like you sp- you build a spaceship like like it's a tower. And so, like, the acceleration becomes the gravity, and then the whole, like, flip and burns. Like, well, you got to get to this point, and then you need to, like, decel. You spend the, the other half of your time decelerating. Yeah. And that's in the book. I was like, oh, wow. So they had all this down way before, <laughs> way before I knew. But okay. Uh, this isn't new. <laughs> yeah, I think the fastest they're going in the expanse is, was it, like, 5% the speed of light? Yeah, they're not going to. I mean, yeah, the magic in the expanse, well, besides other stuff, alien stuff is the uh was it the epstein, epstein drive Epst- yeah epstein they w- i bet drive. you they were so like damn we need to come up with another name for that <laughs> uh it, like the epstein drive has a magical way of just uh it never stops accelerating so that like it's it's so it works out in your favor it's still like you have to expend fuel it's not infinite and stuff like that but it is like it's minuscule yeah you but for drop a pellet in and it's good for like 10 years but for travel between planets, it's like, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> now, the really cool one is if you get into Revelation Space, like that universe, uh, that gets wild. That's Because uh, <laughs> they never go faster than the light in Revelation Space. 
because yeah. the guy who wrote it's like he's a physicist and it's like uh yeah he, but he does do stuff like that where it's like oh here's the two books it's like are they related yeah it's like why are they fifteen thousand years apart it's like because that's how this works yeah because <laughs> there they have the light huggers and they that which goes right up to sea it's called near yeah. sea acceleration but they do that through something called the conjoiner drive which when you find out how that works it's like Oh, that's dark as hell. It's it's because it basically takes a human mind has to be enslaved in it. The conjoiners, which yeah. are, that which because the conjoiners are a, a, a group in Revelation space, but you have to enslave their mind, and then their mind is constantly doing the quantum calculations to keep those two drives because they have to operate in parallel. Because one's opening a door into one universe and a door to another, and they're pulling in like dark energy and. Shit. <laughs> I guess it's all like theoretical stuff. But, yeah, when you find out, it's like, oh, yeah, the way a conjoiner drive works is a human mind is installed in there permanently, and all it does is math. Like, it has no personality <laughs> or anything. It's just a wiped mind that does math. And it's like, why couldn't a computer do that? And it's like, oh, they're not efficient enough because in that universe, like, human brains are, are so wildly um, upscaled with, like, nanomachinery and stuff. It's like you'd never build a computer that would work that well uh, for some reason. But, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and like like the light huggers, it's just they're giant darts of ice because they're going so fast. Well, they don't have like navigational deflectors in Star Trek. They just freeze ice so when a meteorite hits them, it doesn't destroy the whole ship. And <laughs> yeah, but those people are weird because they're like the what are they called the the ultra or, yeah the ultranauts instead of astronauts. And yeah, they 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 um, go into hibernation for fifteen years because that's how long it takes to travel between two stars or whatever and and they're all insane too and it's yeah it's a crazy <laughs> universe it has nothing to do with this but yeah yeah no, we're talking about near light speed travel and science fiction and stuff like that what happens how do they deal with it yeah, revelation space is essentially a more advanced darker and more complicated expanse with less relatable characters but the reason <laughs> the characters are less relatable is you're never going you got one book with them and then you're usually done because yeah. like hundreds of years have passed <laughs> yeah. because people are still going between the stars and i saw a science article that like i had no idea what the hell was talking about i was talking about how like gravitation gra the the uh, power of gravity is one of the lesser forces in the universe <laughs> i'm saying it's it's not as it's it has lesser force than high force. I'm like the f is high force it has lesser force than low force. The f is low force, <laughs> and then another force that the gravity is lesser than. So <laughs> it's like I don't know what the hell is this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, I've got like a average IQ. I can't grasp this stuff. <laughs> well, I've I've never heard of it before. So I don't really know what the hell they're talking about. Well, they have um, weird names for things because like you hear. Like an earthquake prediction and like when you learn about the Richter scale and how like, oh, each point on the Richter scale is not like, oh, that's not upgrading it 10%. That's upgrading it 100% at every yeah. point. And then you learn like what strong motion is. It's like, okay, that sounds strong motion. That's an earthquake, right? No, no, that's the energy before an earthquake. And it's like, huh, okay, why is it called strong motion? Because it anticipates motion of tectonic plates and it's like okay explain that it's like well when all this you know there's so many things going on when tectonic plates come together we just generically call it that because we can't really we need a word like 50 characters long to describe everything that's happening like 
you know, magneto magma displacements. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, strong motion, gotcha. And I don't even know if I'm describing that right, but it's, it's one of those things like, it's like stuff that's going on on this planet that we're not studying through a telescope. I can't understand. <laughs> but to, uh, earthquake stuff, we get into like fluid dynamics and all that. And like fluid dynamics of water is insanely complicated math, let alone when you're talking about like molten metal and rock. Because <laughs> not only is that like with water, there's like magnetics pull doesn't come into it but it does with molten nickel it's like ah <laughs> magnetics are also a force here and satan says begin it's like, <laughs> Jesus. okay uh george expresses his loneliness and then he shoots up some drugs <laughs> these are sleeping drugs no he's not just doing he's not just doing some heroin just, here. Yeah, just taking <laughs> horse before the big sleep <laughs> which would be weird <laughs> Uh, he, pa he pauses to look at the sleeping crew, and then he buckles into his pod and lowers the window to his cryo sarcophagus. Because <laughs> he even like sleeps with his hands crossed. It's like nobody does that. Like you're doing that for effect, bro. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't even happen in real life when I'm sleeping eight hours, let alone <laughs> a thousand years. Like, can you imagine the cramps? As <laughs> and we cut the titles. We get Charlton Heston in Planet of the Apes. The, anyway, I was talking about the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the composer, uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, they were kind of told to go wild with the soundtrack for this. So yeah. what they did was they played horns without the uh, mouthpiece on them. Okay. So those real discordant, like, <laughs> horn sounds, uh, that was because they were playing horns without the mouthpiece. And they were also putting them through, like, an early, basically a phase multi-track recorder from that era, which was, like, experimental at that time. Yeah. Uh, and and the sounds you hear the, s s s that the they're using whisks in metal mixing bowls and putting <laughs> it through some kind of synthesizer and it's like that's uh so they yeah they're basically said yeah yeah lose your mind so the soundtrack even though it was written by a composer is actually more foley work than than, than music it's kind of weird it's like huh yeah but it's arranged so yeah it's know, arranged it's, foley it's work yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's a titles of like it's a title sequence of like stars and stuff in space. All right, filmed in Panavision, which yep. I already see that all over. Which I think it just means it was filmed in uh, anamorphic. Okay. Uh, which I'm not sure if I've explained what that is. <laughs> do, you, do you know what anamorphic means when it's filmed anamorphic? Yeah, isn't it isn't it like a just like a wide array lens? That's yeah, like, but it, um... like it 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 it. it yeah, it films it like essentially widescreen. It gets a wider image. Yeah. But it crams it and distorts it into the same width of the film space. Okay. So if you if you were just look at the negative, it'd look all weird and crammed. But then when you project it with the same anamorphic lenses, it just projects normally how it was shot. Oh, okay. It's the magic of anamorphic lenses. It made a lot of like CGI, early CGI, like really hard to do because accounting for how this the uh, anamorphic stretch was nearly impossible yeah um which is why cameron shot terminator 2 on super 35 rather than on anamorphic so oh okay so if you look at it it's like it's widescreen but it's not the widest screen that was coming up at that time <laughs> also a fun thing with anamorphic lenses like uh i think it's die hard because big tyrannum loves to shoot anamorphic when you get lens flares, they they aren't a sphere. They're like a they're like oblong. They're like ovals. Oh, okay. That's, that's the that's the shape of the lens. They're reflecting the curvature of the lens more correctly. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
which is another fun thing in in Panic Room, which I learned from the director's commentary. There's a part where like she's flashing a light to try to get a signal to somebody like across the way. And I guess they digitally made that light like an anamorphic lens. Huh. <laughs> Which is something like nobody would ever notice, but I guess it was just a fun thing for like Fincher and his effects team or whatever. Yeah, they're just like, let's go, go, go wild here. Um, Play I think horns it was shot without in... mouthpieces. <laughs> well, I think the thing was, is I think it was shot in anamorphic, but the light effect was a CGI effect. And so technically they wouldn't have to do it with the anamorphic distortion but they just want the extra step to do it that way because it's like well if we actually shot this this is how it would have looked so oh okay but that's, that's okay because all the effects in this movie are practical <laughs> i don't know I, was, I, was, I, I i'm doing arnold <laughs> it's almost kind of embarrassing considering what 2001 space odyssey came out a year later but yeah you know, you can't compare people to Kubrick. It's just unfair. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. It's a whole different thing, um, and also this is, you know, it's a different kind of story. Was well, so, yeah. well, never forget that like Damnation Alley and Star Wars came out the same time for the same money. Oh, what's Damnation Alley? I'm oh, it's the it. one with George Papard where they're driving the apocalypse vehicle through the post-nuclear America. Huh. Um. And it used a lot of weird, uh, like lens and camera effects, uh, that which was what made it so expensive. But really, the, it looks like a TV movie for the most part. But it does oh. have a couple neat trucks in it. And yeah, yeah, just look at it. It's a goofy, uh, you know, apocalypse movie called Damnation Alley. Because uh, uh, who else is in it? George Papard and the guy uh, from Airwolf. He's in it too. And the guy who uh, Captain Terrell from Star Trek is in it. That's guy who shot himself in wrath of khan oh okay. the captain of the reliant he's in it um, <laughs> but yeah both those movies came out the same time same money completely different like results <laughs> one of them you've heard of one of them you haven't <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i never knew it existed and i'm like the film guy <laughs> yeah well i get well, into I a lot of really weird s obscure sci-fi shit too so yeah uh, we got shots of a spinning sky and the sound of rockets. Here, the, they're simulating the space crash, but they don't have the budget or the time to yeah. film a space crash, or else they film one and it looked terrible, so they just did this instead. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie has a very TV show quality to it, even yeah. for the time. Yeah, that's why I said it's like an expensive episode of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, which I guess all episodes of Star Trek were expensive. So. Oh, yeah. That's why it got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it was known to be popular at the time they didn't know how popular but it was just like yeah this is too expensive yeah they only regretted it when they put it in reruns and it basically got the same ratings as when it was in production so yeah. they're like oh crap well the only reason they didn't bring it back like two years later was they still couldn't get the cost as a matter of, they'd be like no the expectations would be higher it would cost more <laughs> so it's like oh we can't do this and plus, um, there's some tender flakiness around, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of flakiness around Star Trek, too, especially that time in Star Trek's history, because everyone's fighting over the, like, rel the relevance of it. It's like, whoa, hold on, guys. <laughs> Let's get out of our own asses for a second and entertain the people. Yeah, they simulate the ship crashing, I wrote, or landing, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think the ship crashed in the water or just landed in the water? <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what happened to the ship because it shot out of the time-space hole. And yeah. then um, it, like, seemed to be going through a normal, like, planetary re-entry. Uh, but I don't know what they were expecting because it was kind of built into it. There's going to be a big time difference here. So the Earth we come back to, it's like, was it just trying to land at its home field? And now that was a, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a lake? Or did it just some did it suffer some kind of damage? It's kind of indicated there might have been some damage because, you know, after the ship crashes, of course, one of the people didn't make it. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, and also, yeah, the ultimate reveal is that they went to the wrong spot. Cause, you know, yeah. The whole time you're supposed to think they went to an entirely different planet. So. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, the pods are released. Everyone has a beard except for Stuart, who is mummified. <laughs> She's yeah. the one lady. <laughs> we get, we get yeah, the one lady ladies. to three guys. It's like that's the opposite <laughs> of the strange love equation. <laughs> Another woman in this movie like has no lines. Yeah. <laughs> the ship starts sinking in the water, which I mean, it looks like the end of the ship is cool looking as it sinks in the water, but then it just makes you speculate, like, what's the rest of the ship look like? Yeah. And how did it land like this? Did it back into it? Because you know the, the video makes it look like they landed and the back end started sinking. Like I don't know. Uh there's a YouTube video you can see. It's like it's like Planet of the Apes original um like special effect how the crash happened yeah and it actually like oh okay that's cool makes the ship look a little smaller than i thought it was but it's like that it kind of shows like a not quite the captain or what's it called the the god the miracle on the hudson the guy that landed the plane and didn't like cartwheel it around because he landed (laughs) it like perfectly on the water uh Yeah. yeah it was kind of a crash like that (laughs) <laughs> but then of course like Dell, the water's just gonna crush it and come pouring in so we gotta get out yeah i, I heard something the other day people talk about well we watched the gray and i was that one guy talking on the plane crashes and how like if you if you you know you tuck your head between your legs like you'll just like you know like break your spine or something like that and then i read something where they talking about like no really like the the uh like a car crash oh what was it something like you don't want to tense up for a car crash but you you want to for an airplane crash or something like that but it was something about like a car crash is like an immediate stop or like the thing about a plane crash is usually if you have stuff to guide the plane and crash it in a more controlled manner the thing you're worried about is just debris and people and everything flying around you not necessarily like the impact of the crash yeah those yeah you can shrug that inertia off in a plane crash by you know rumbling along the ground where a car it's like oh it's like 60 to zero yeah just do the math on that if you weigh 200 pounds it's like yeah the universe (laughs) is gonna you're gonna you're gonna go to that star trek inertia universe for a few seconds so it's more of the plane not necessarily like the yeah the 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 sudden stop it's the blender of a (laughs) of a crash that happens yeah and you know fire and all it's the metal flying around and the stewardess's (laughs) head that that's that's gonna kill you sir uh the ship starts sinking in the water they need to get like atmospheric readings to see if it's safe to go outside so yeah that's some good sci-fi stuff so yeah Yeah. we can't just escape it's like we gotta know if we can live out there Which I think in any case, they all probably should have grabbed a spacesuit, but I understand why why spend the money to do that when you can just spend the effort and the guy go look at a router with some bleeping lights on it and be like, yeah, it's cool out there. Yeah. Oh, we didn't land on the nitrogen planet. Thank God. <laughs> uh, they try to send a distress signal out, but it's not working. 
Yeah. Uh, they abandoned ship. Uh, you get a little shot here. It says Earth Time 3978. So it's been about 300 years since they've left. Or no. Almost 3,000 no, no, Way years. longer than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was 300 years before. It was 300 years between the last time, the last time he was awake and Earth Time. But yeah, they left in 72. So yeah, it's like, yeah, 2,000 years later. Got Dodge played by Jeff Burton. I just wrote that in there. <laughs> he has some interesting credits where he did some. Seemed like he did some black exploitation movies where was, he was like in Coffee. He was in one. It was called like oh what was it? It's like <laughs> it was like Night Ladies, but then its alternate title is just Black Hooker. <laughs> weird. Oh yeah, those well, yeah those black exploitation films had some weird names. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Dodge throws out a life raft, and uh, Landon, played by Robert Gunner, and George, or I guess I, I call him Taylor later on. They hop in the thing and they get it out of there. Uh, the 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 ship sinks as they paddle away. We cut to them like they're paddling through a cavern, which just looks really cool. They basically just where is this like New Mexico or something? I mean, just you know, it's a good place. It's basically like they went and shot a western, but it just happened to be. <laughs> I think it's in California, movie. actually. Oh, okay. Well, the outdoor so, yeah. stuff probably is, yeah. The, the, okay. The rest of it's like a studio. Um, they're trying to guess like what planet they're on based on like the color of the star. Because in the book, they go to Beetlejuice, which is red. Um, which I guess if you did a direct adaptation, that would be kind of interesting to have like a a more red hued <laughs> like color to your film because <laughs> of the of a giant red star. It's on Mars. Um, <laughs> but here like the one guy's like they're trying to guess what it is it's like ah it's too white to be you know like i can't remember what planet they're guessing or star system they're guessing uh they land uh, they land on a shore okay, california they... utah and arizona you're right okay yeah okay uh they prep their gear george starts like prepping sensors and stuff to get some data uh landon's like daydreaming I like how he has Earth. like a Colt hammerless revolver in his survival <laughs> kit from like World War Two. <laughs> but you know, I mean, they left Earth in the seventies, so yeah, they must assumed a big tech jump between when they filmed this and you know the mid seventies. <laughs> so yeah, they they kind of take off in an arbitrary direction, just basically it's like, well, we don't know where we're going, like I'll just go where my nose is. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, weird that that um, uh, Taylor, uh, Landon. And Dodge seemed to have this kind of combative dialogue because Landon's like really not happy about like, oh, you know, I don't know where we are. I don't know where everyone is. You know, it's like uh, he was seemed upset that they weren't there. But like this was all baked into like, well, we knew like when we left, we weren't coming back to anything. It's like we're basically going to come back to Earth as savages. That that was Taylor's things like, yeah, if the Earth isn't wildly better when we go back, then we're really screwed. You know, it's like we're we're just gonna come back as as savages, and and uh, yeah, Landon seems to be like really down about this whole thing, which is kind of weird. It's like, hey, didn't everyone understand this when they went on this mission? But I guess they have to have some kind of tension. Yeah, well, that's the yeah. I don't, it, I don't, weirdly, in the book, it's just kind of like this guy came up with a ship that could go near light speed, and this basically was a test run. Here it seems like there was a committee to like we're gonna we're gonna go forward with humanity and like we're gonna select the we're gonna select the you know not the worst of us but like the the skeptical of us to send on a mission. 
our mission to send the most cynical astronauts we can find <laughs> into space and time. I don't know. Dodge seems cool. He just seems like the big dirt, like nerd of the group. Like, yeah, yeah Dodge is like the stuff. scientist guy. He's yeah. like, I want to <laughs> learn actually, about this. Yeah, yeah. He's at, he's like the only one actually doing science. Which is like, you never know. Like, you know, like Taylor's an astronaut, but what, like, what degrees does he have? It just seems to be snark is his whole thing. <laughs> So what'd you major in in college? Oh, it's like, oh, uh, like aeronautical engineering and, and like stoicism. It's like those are <laughs> like some weird like combination degree of. Um, I always like that in The Martian where it's like, you know, his thing was like, was he had like a, had like a degree in like botany and something else. And even though like compared to everybody else, he's like, he's a genius, but compared to everybody on his crew, like he's the janitor. Yeah. <laughs> like he's the dumbest person on the crew, so he does like the the crappiest work. Yeah, you're the <laughs> shit mechanic. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's like I have I have two PhDs from like good schools. It's like, well, they're not as good as mine. <laughs> well, that, well, that's a real interesting dichotomy. So, yeah, the dumbest kid in gifted class. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the yeah the, the the lowest heaven of PhD. It's, it's, <laughs> It's like you're, you're more educated than 99% of the people on the planet. However, in your own <laughs> cast, you're the bottom. Again, you're the space, sh the ship mechanic. Or what, I like the term in Red Planet. The only good thing about Red Planet was, uh, what was he called? What did he call himself? The space janitor. Uh, oh, does he say that there too? Oh, okay. That must have, I must have, may have crossed those. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's also in that, but in, um, okay. uh, Martian's actually a good movie. The Red Planet's dumb except for like, kind of the performance of Val Kilmer was interesting. <laughs> it's like, I'm basically the space janitor. You guys are all the big brains. Yeah. And he's the only one who survives because of his <laughs> sarcasm. <laughs> and, and like Russian probes that never took off. I don't know. Oh yeah, Land Landon plants a tiny little flag next to the shore to the amusement of George. He like laughs like it's a like he's a killer in a movie. <laughs> so they uh, they travel through the desert they're like avoiding natural disasters. There's like lightning, but it doesn't have rain. There's like rocks that roll at them. <laughs> yeah, giant rocks that seem to be like strategically <laughs> rolling at them. Like, are they sentient? <laughs> no. But slow enough not to be dangerous, but large enough to be threatening. Yeah, I like the <laughs> lightning. It's just like the whole sky lights up, but there's no like visible lightning. Yeah. It's like clear air lightning or something. Yeah, they basically just like. They have like a matte painting of the sky and they just turn it into a negative for a bit. That's all they yeah. do here. <laughs> it's fine. It works. Yeah, it's cool. It's weird. It's an alien planet, right? Well, here's the thing that's interesting. Like, Dodge comments on like these weird weather phenomenon, um, basically being like, these are unlike Earth, not knowing <laughs> it is Earth. <laughs> but he also says something about there being no moon, which is like, what the f happened in the moon they never explain that <laughs> yeah you think there would be like something these things would be really different without that well i don't think i've ever heard of the no moon thing in any of the planet of the apes fiction like this is the first time i remember that being a that being a concept brought up but i don't remember it in any other place yeah i've never heard of that i don't but yeah i never thought of it so i maybe it wasn't <laughs> maybe it was just a throwaway line that like made it through oh, okay I mean, I'm only guessing. I don't know. Well, I mean, because whenever you think of moon, you just immediately think of, you know, uh, seven eaves. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, okay, did the apocalypse come about because a moon crashed onto the earth? Or 
or something. <laughs> um, it was made of cheese. <laughs> Damn it, you ruined it all. Uh, it burned up in the atmosphere. <laughs> God is a lie. <laughs> uh, here's where also like uh, um, Taylor is making fun of, of Landon because I guess he was just like a golden boy where it's like, you know, he's like the star quarterback and from rich parents. I'm like, hey, I thought they're going to build a bronze statue of you. <laughs> 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 you know, he's like, yeah, right now it's all getting, you know, all getting weathered and green <laughs> um foreshadowing <laughs> oh yeah i guess i don't know george says he's a seeker they're they're like he says there has to be something better than the universe than man so that's kind of his only like okay he's an explorer he's just a great but he doesn't seem necessarily like i guess the the dichotomy of him he's, he doesn't like people and by the end of the movie he kind of has to be like he has to like stand up for people and try to like you know stand up for their rights and maybe bring human back to like some sort of civilization <laughs> yeah i can't stand anyone but now i'm their representative yeah <laughs> uh dodge spots like a, a plant growing and he's like life uh so they dig it up all together which is weird <laughs> yeah so they're just carrying this plant around through the desert i was like what are they gonna yeah. do with this thing uh, but it gives them it, it gives them hope because like they've also mentioned like yeah we got three days of food left and <laughs> so like if we don't find anything by then we're all dead. Yeah, they're kind of so. like they're, that's a real countdown too because it's just food. They don't mention water. It's like because yeah you can stretch food. It's not like it's <laughs> like well it's been seventy two hours time to die. But yeah water it's like no you you can't stretch well, that. <laughs> well they hide in some shadow after the rocks come after them and they're like water check and like guy <laughs> goes eight ounces and they. They like no, no. They just say no to both of it. So, yeah, not a lot of water left. Oh, okay. it's like half a bottle. It's like half a Dasani. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I've, I've drank more booze than that since the podcast began. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's not a lot. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're 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 starting to move through the desert mountains, and people start following, but they don't notice them. So they find some figures made of straw. Uh, they look like George crucified here. humans. <laughs> yeah. But they, they call them scarecrows. That's essentially what's supposed to be. Like, yeah. I, Scare people. I think that. Well, I, the humans built them because they have like kind of like sort of animal pelts on them. So I think they they think it might scare the apes, but absolutely doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> or the apes put it there for reasons. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's marking the like forbidden zone. Or <laughs> that could be. But George hears the sounds of running water, and so he starts running towards. He's like, "I know what that is," and it's a waterfall. So they all strip naked and like run into the water, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting out of this movie. A lot of man ass going around. <laughs> oh yeah, well that was okay. It doesn't mean anything. It's nothing sexual about that in the sixties. No, no. Hey, you, know, you don't see it a lot, but you know it's the sixties, so I guess you know nobody would have cared at the time. It's like, yeah, who isn't naked all the time? Yeah. <laughs> We have to create these new diseases for everyone. <laughs> so yeah. people in the nineties can be can lament our time of freedom <laughs> and joy. Yeah. But then they find footprints that aren't their own, so they're like, huh. And then some scavengers like are are you know, off in the distance and they steal their clothes and equipment and they start giving them chase. So that, oh they they do cleverly shoot it here so that like you don't immediately know it's humans. It's like you've already seen the title. It says Play of the Apes, so you would be immediately expecting apes to be showing up and it's not apes so, so they, they're running through the forest and they find some of their equipment broken and their clothes torn the astronauts cobble together some of their clothes like george just has like i don't know he just has like, like some kind of like 
blanket with a hole in it. Like that's <laughs> uh, you know, at least uh, uh, Taylor has some pants <laughs> that are probably is. Yeah. Um, and then there's a primal scream of echoes. Uh, oh wait, no, that they stand by and observe like the primitive humans there as they like they're foraging for food. Here, George says is that they're mute because they're not talking to each other or anything like that. They're just kind of like looking around and eating fruit. Um, yeah, and then Taylor's and, like, well, if this is the best they got, we'll be running this place in a week. Right? <laughs> He's already making plans. Uh, then there's a primal screen that echoes throughout the valley, and then the primitives start running away, and the astronauts follow after them. Um, there's like stick that they end up in like kind of crop area. I'm not sure what kind of crop it is, like either wheat or corn or something. I thought it was corn because so, of the height. Yeah, yeah, it's stock. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm there's probably other, you know, crops that are stocky like that. But yeah, I, I, I'm. It, it didn't exactly look like corn to me because it was more like I don't know, greenish. But you know, it just could be early stocks for corn. So. I'm not sure. um, I just found out corn was really big grass once, and that kind of freaked me out. It's like, oh, uh, it is. It's just giant grass. <laughs> but, like, there's the sticks protruding above the thing. They're just, like, smacking down and scaring the, the, the primitive people away. And then there's apes on horses show up, and they, they, they have guns, and they're firing on the fleeing humans. So this is the introduction of, like, Hey, here's some apes. They got guns and they got horses. So clearly evolved past. And they're wearing like medieval looking leather armor too. Which in the Tim Burton one, they do a better job just because they have more resources of like separating all the different like apes. Yeah. Because here, all the all the guys that are guards and stuff and kind of wearing black uniforms, the guys basically look like Klingons here. Yeah. Uh, they're they're gorillas. And then the people in green uniforms, they're chimpanzees, and the people in orange uniforms are the orangutans. Yeah, so the gorillas are like the proletariat. <laughs> the chimpanzees are like the outer party members, and the orangutans, that's the inner party members. Yeah. That's the caste system of, of the ape universe. But I think there's, like, more chimpanzees than everybody else, but they kind of, like, are... Because they're stifled by the orangutans, because they just have all the power. At least in the book, I'm not sure here. So should I answer a phone call on the podcast from mainland China? That doesn't sound like a call. <laughs> I've been getting stuff from China too. Yeah, That's they must weird. like our podcast. <laughs> so yeah, they're like either shooting humans or capturing them with nets. A bunch of people are getting caught up in nets. George outwits some of the apes. Well, that's actually kind of fun in this movie. How many times? How hard it is to just throw a net on somebody because <laughs> they miss him a lot with nets. Yeah, the apes are not super dexterous in this movie. It's, <laughs> it's weird because, like in real life, they would. Well, actually, they're not very dexterous in real life. They're just. It's really almost strong. like you have a human with like ten pounds of makeup on their face. Yeah. <laughs> their hands don't work well, and they have weird rifles too. The rifles are. Um, are those real things, or is that? Yeah, they're M1. Are they're M1 carbines with like weird wood inserts over them. Oh, okay. So basically, it's like a rifle. Oh, the prop version is like there's almost no metal except the barrel, and it's all wood. It's like even the magazine receiver is wood. Uh, and then, but some of them get like they look different. But yeah, they're all basically M1 carbines that are just redressed. Yeah, because it looks like something like of the. It looked like it was built around something because the stocks look unusually thick. Yeah. <laughs> Landon is like knocked in the head and throw off a cliff into some water. So that's not good for him. Dodge gets shot and killed. 
Uh, so he yeah, got shot in the back guy. of the head. Like, yeah. I was more like, I don't know, like when they show a wound on him later on, it's on his neck. Oh, okay. But, I don't know. He also gets shot like four times. It wasn't just once. So. I don't know. These are, these are 60s deaths. And this is like, I don't even know what rating this movie is, but it's not R. So. No, it's like. Pretty sure it's not R. Probably G, maybe PG. I'm not sure. I'm guessing PG, but probably I don't PG. Know. Well, one of the trivia I read is, is like apparently Charlton Heston had to argue over the use of goddamn and not getting a, a higher rating. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which that seems weird compared to the violence and like, you know, kind of partial nudity in the movie. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about like standards and stuff like that is that they change over time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because in some ways, movies nowadays are way more violent than this movie is, but are way less, like, sexualized. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot less... Yeah, movies nowadays are more sterile in some ways, and even the violence yeah. they have is, like, quick. Like, the camera never holds on violence really very much nowadays. Well, um, unless, it's a, unless it's, like, that's well, unless what the movie's it, about. Yeah, unless it's just, like, a killer movie, but yeah. <laughs> Like, war movies now, it's like the people just die. Like, they just fall yeah. over. They don't, like, grab their chest and, like, red blood pours out. or <laughs> Unless it's Saving Private Ryan and just, like, bits yeah. and pieces of everyone. But, yeah, but, yeah, around. but most movies are PG-13. And, like, you can have all the gunfire, just none of the gore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dodge gets shot and killed. Taylor, Taylor also takes a shot to the throat, but he just passes out on the beach rather than immediately dying. But, again, that was the only shot he took. And then we cut to, like, the living, the dead are, like, gathered up. Taylor's like putting the cage in a cage, uh, coach like on the back, or they have like a uh, horse coach or whatever, or horse carriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear some apes take take a photo of their hunt, and, like they're having a good old time. So. Yeah, like they're standing on corpses stacked up, and yeah. they're like taking uh, pictures with old timey cameras, like the uh, what do they call those? Uh, I know a friend of mine that does pictures. Lithograph or what is that? I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah, there's a name for those kind of cameras. Just a giant plate that you like set the camera up, you open it up and expose it and then close it. But it's like you do it with your hand. So you got to leave it open a certain amount of time. Uh, And you can also like move those cameras and take like wide pano shots as they're exposed to. There's a name for them. Range finding camera. I don't know. Something like that. I can't remember. I, had to, so I had to provide security for a shoot in Detroit they were doing with those cameras because they're really old, they're really expensive, and, you know, most people were cool there. But they were like, hey, can you come along, Nathan? It's like, cool, yeah, I want to learn about this camera. It's like, yeah, we want you to learn about it, but really it's because we know you have a license to carry a gun. <laughs> That's why we need you on this camera thing. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that too. You need to protect a bit of history. <laughs> yeah. So I have that being the end of Act 1 because uh, we finally seen the apes and killed off two of our main characters yeah everyone's dying it's, these movies are known for their upbeat nature they're very <laughs> uh they're very uh fun movies so you have act two and uh we got an ape is tending to taylor a lady ape comes in looking for like the one with the weird clothes uh there's an argument amongst the apes about who gets like a budget and there's like racism amongst the different apes because basically it's like the chimpanzees like seem to be doing a lot of the science, but they're always, but the science can only like go further if the if the orangutans approve a budget for it. So, yeah. yeah. 
which is not stuff I was expecting out of this movie, but makes it interesting. It's like, oh yeah, they're apes, and but they have exactly the same problems that every society does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Taylor hasn't reached post scarcity yet. <laughs> of course, neither have we. So uh, Taylor's locked in a cage. Doctor Zira comes in, in looking at Taylor, calling him bright eyes. <laughs> Which that's something new to hear. There was another term in that in the book, I don't think. Uh, or maybe the translation was never picked up on that. <laughs> uh, the humans are reaching out for the cages and like, because they know like she has treats. And she, so if they do that, they'll get treats. And so she, she gives them sugar cubes. Uh, Taylor can't talk because of his throat injury. So he, he tries grabbing Zira's pen and paper, but the guard like knocks him back. And uh, goes in and beats him up a bit. <laughs> um, or is no, that's later. I don't know. I don't know. He ta- he, there's a lot of time. He uses his broom to push him back this time. Okay. Uh, Dr. Zayas. Um, oh, wait, no. Yeah. Dr. Zayas shows up and then he just dismisses Taylor as not. Because Taylor's like trying to talk. And so they see that like he's opening his mouth and like moving, but just words aren't coming out. And they're like, oh, he's trying to talk. And then. Dr. Zayas sees this like, oh, he's just mimicking. Like, that's what all humans do. They don't know how to, like, think for themselves. Which is weird because how these costumes that these actors are wearing move. It's like, no, it's like, you look like you're the one mimicking. Yeah. But it's just it's just the limits of what they could do. I guess a lot of actors passed on this movie when they found out the time it would take to apply the prosthetics and where they'd be yeah. filming. Because it's like, oh, that's just hot hell. Like, we're not <laughs> yeah. interested in that. Even though uh, even though these 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 prosthetics and makeup kind of look silly now, this was cutting edge at the time. <laughs> oh yeah, the, this is actually it, for what they're trying to do and when they're doing it, it's good. <laughs> it wouldn't be good now, but for the no. time, it's like that's not terrible. <laughs> because you can actually see the actors' eyes, they can kind of project and emote a little yeah. bit. It's like. Oh, I'm still, I'm not totally taken out of this. Like, oh, okay. But it is more than just them, like, throwing a mask over their face. It is a whole process, and it sucks, but it... Yeah, I've watched, uh, there's, like, Behind the Planet of the Apes. It was, like, the making of documentary. And, it, yeah, it shows, like, it's a, it's like a two-piece thing that's put on and then painted. And, and I guess the wigs are really hot. Like, they're just, like, designed <laughs> to retain heat. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, who knows what terrible chemicals they're using at the time to adhere that to them. So. Just lead, just like yeah, yeah. Just liquid lead. <laughs> Why'd you know. put lead in glue? Like, I don't know, because we could. Yeah. <laughs> we had to make it heavier. <laughs> just you, hey, we made this new stuff called super glue. We're gonna put this appliance on your face with it. So yeah, yeah. Here, Doctor Zayas just kind of suggests vivisecting Taylor for research and killing a, a like a whole lot of them. It's like ah, they're good for nothing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it'd probably be better and more sinister if like human was on the menu, but like, uh, you never. But they never show him like them eating humans or anything like that. So. That would be like like that would be like a form of cannibalism. Like it would be really close to. Yeah. Um, and also, people don't taste very good, I guess. Yeah, but they are hunting them. But, like, I guess it's more of... Yeah, it's yeah, just kind of like taking your dog them. out to kill rats. It's like, ah, this is just fun. <laughs> I can eat these damn things. <laughs> just tear it apart. Go go to town. Uh, Dr. Zira throws uh, a young woman, Nova. You'll find her name later, but I just know her from the, the book. And his cage is like, 
Yeah, Nova's like some sort of gift to Taylor, is like for mimicking like words. Yeah. <laughs> I guess like she's a bit more developed in the book because it has an internal monologue and stuff. It's also like their their relationship's like almost sadder because you just realize like she's just an animal that looks like a human. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not gonna like teach her anything or like civilize her in any way. But he gets her pregnant in the book and then like they have a baby and then he's like kind of hopeful. It's like, yeah, we're gonna re energize humanity. <laughs> Which is just seems more sad <laughs> yeah. than it is like a victory. That's a long uh, march program there, man. It's <laughs> gonna take a while. Then we cut to Taylor's like observing from an outdoor cage because you know I guess they gotta give him some sunlight or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Zira is showing off Taylor to her boyfriend Cornelius. Taylor starts writing in the sand because like oh yeah this this will this will convince him, and then Doctor Zayas comes by. And Taylor ends up like fighting with people in the cage because like they start erasing his writings, and he's like, "No, don't do that. This is my freedom." And then there just ends up being a big fight. Uh, Doctor Zero is like trying to like talking about like, "No, it's like her whole thing. She's like trying to domesticate humans. Like, yeah, we're on the verge of making this possible. Like, yeah, pets at home, they can do things." Uh, and then as as everyone's distracted by the fighting, and and Doctor Zero is like, like you know, work, Dr. Zayas uh, sees the writing on the ground and erases it. So, it's like, so, he, so you know this guy knows more than what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you can, you know, in the first scene with him, he's like, you can see where his, like, where he sees, like, he's, he's not buying that it's a sentient life. It's like, nah, it's just mimicry. But this scene, you know, it's like, oh, he knows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, knows. He, he knows more than what he's saying. Yeah, you know, you know, that's also the thing in the book. In the book, what's way different also is that like the apes don't speak English or write in English. Yeah, and so he has to spend a lot of time just like figuring that out how to talk to them because there's no like in the book. There's nothing where he like can't talk. It's just like when he does, they don't know what he's saying. Yeah, he's just making. He's from another galaxy or uh, yeah. solar system or whatever. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, yeah, then we cut to Taylor's getting put in his cage again. Here he grabs the notes and pen and paper. And pen and paper from um no, he grabs a pen and paper from Zira and he writes my name is Taylor on it, but uh he gets beaten up by the guard and then when the guard brings the, the pen and paper back to Zira, she sees the note, she's like, Oh he is <laughs> my god, he is intelligent. Yeah. Too bad you just beat his head in with a club. <laughs> uh then we cut to like it's at Zira's house and Zeros and Cornelius are like testing Taylor and Cornelius is doubtful of like Taylor's intelligence. Because all he can do is write down, uh, like, what you figure, like, he's writing whole sentences here that, like, he's got to be intelligent. He's like, nah, it's just a trick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sleight of hand. <laughs> it's it's a Chinese box. He just He's just hearing our <laughs> sounds and writing things out that he thinks, we you know, makes sense. It's it's not real sentience. It's, yeah. it's no, the they original didn't have, large like, language learning module. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's like, what are you talking uh, about, Cornelius? We haven't invented computers yet. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> is that something else Zayas is keeping from us? <laughs> uh, Taylor makes a paper airplane and he throws it, which they hear Cornelius talks about, like, apes say flight is a scientific impossibility, but he throws it to demonstrate his journey, or Taylor throws it to demonstrate his journey, like, with spaceship, uh, which is actually completely wrong because, that, <laughs> you know, Flying an airplane is completely different from, from space travel. But anyways, you get the idea. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, he'd actually, actually like take the paper airplane, put it in a bell jar, suck all the oxygen <laughs> yeah, yeah. out, and then explain like, well, there's no really resistance in there, so we need to use either chemical or, or some kind of energy explosion underneath it. But you know, it's... yeah, if I'm learning stuff about HVAC, I'm still like fighting in my head over like what would happen to you when you're in space. Like, do you freeze? Because everybody knows space is cold. Yeah. So everyone assumes, and even now it's predicted, pre- shown in movies, like. Oh, if you get exposed to fa- space, you're like, it's like Terminator 2 and getting like dunked in a cryo, like cry, like cryo liquid. Uh, what's that called? <laughs> liquid liquid nitrogen. nitrogen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The liquid um, nitrogen truck that crashes into the steel mill. It's the most yeah, amazing yeah. thing ever. It's like, <laughs> wow, that's that's stuff you dream about. <laughs> um, and then I, then I was like, wait, like there's it's vacuum like thermo thermo you know law of thermodynamics say that heat always goes to the less resistive force or the the colder the colder um a colder object but space isn't an object that heat can go to (laughs) so if you're out in space Without a suit on, you wouldn't necessarily immediately freeze to death because there's nowhere for that heat to go. You would have electromagnetic irradiating heat going away from you, but that would take a really long time to lose all your heat from that. Because that's all all the heat we get from the sun is just radiated heat. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's so the vacuum actually protects us from the sun's, you know, nuclear explosion, the heat of the nuclear explosion. <laughs> But there's a lot more awful things that can happen. Uh, it's not. It's not. You don't have to worry about the freezing thing. It's. It's the whole like, your lungs collapsing. If you have air in your lungs, they would explode, or your lungs collapsing. Um, your eyes and your mouth are exposed to the vacuum, and because there's no pressure around you, and water with with less with no pressure on it will boil at a lower temperature, which is enough for your body temperature is giving off. So your mouth and your eyes will start the water and then they'll start to boil. So that'll be fun. Uh, uh, and then, you know, you'll, you'll die pretty quickly from other things, but you won't necessarily, as far as I can figure, immediately freeze to death and break into pieces. Like you got poured in liquid nitrogen. <laughs> or if you're on the mirror space station and one of the rooms is exposed to the vacuum of space, you just walk through it quickly. <laughs> like that happened to a u.s astronaut it's yeah, really for all its stupidity the uh the, like event horizon where he sucks all the air out of the, the the uh airlock and then the door opens it's like that's actually pretty close to what you're talking about oh okay but like i don't because now they, they also talk about like once your blood boil and stuff like that what well, i'm not sure about that because technically i think that stuff in your body is under some pressure yeah so your body wouldn't necessarily explode from the inside out but because your eyes and your mouth are definitely exposed that stuff would immediately boil (laughs) Uh, which is also frightening yeah it's nothing you'd want to do like oh great my eyes are boiling (laughs) it's just outland makes it the most bizarre and, and like psychotic and it's like yeah that's amazing or even uh uh total recall total recall yeah that does a pretty crazy outland's really bleak though 
It's like you just, <laughs> just explode. <laughs> like a, like a, just a big meat balloon that's overinflated. It's pop. But yeah, but why the Arctic is really bad for you is because that does have atmosphere and there is places for your heat to go. So you will die very quickly. Yeah, now that will, you'll be dunked in liquid <laughs> nitrogen. Oh yeah, Corneos is amazed by the paper airplane. It, then he, he then he kind of just like throws it away. It's like, oh, let's forget about that. <laughs> That's too much for me. No, oh, uh, yeah, Zeus finds it. Yeah. Uh, Corneos has a theory that the apes descended from ancient man, which this is like, kind of like heresy <laughs> amongst the apes, I guess. Uh, he talks about the forbidden zone has ruins of human civilization. Doctor Zeus and his cronies bust in. He's suspicious of like, Azira and Taylor. Yeah, this is where he finds the the space the the paper airplane. He's like, "What's this?" And he was like trying to like Cornelius is trying to show off that it, like it floats, and he just crumples it up. He's like, "Ha, hogwash!" Because again, like Doctor Zayas, like you know, progress is the end of us. So you can only have so much progress. <laughs> yeah, Taylor's back in his cage, and some guards come in saying they have orders to gel- geld Taylor, which I that just sounds like something awful. I'm not sure. Castration. Okay. I don't know if it was castration or if that was something where you like you dump like molten lead on somebody. No, uh, that's something. I think that's 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 a different thing. No, a g- fire gelding. <laughs> no, that, uh, what's that called? I forget. Pouring lead on someone is uh, there's another term for that. No, but gelding is just removal of the testicles. Oh, okay. Uh, Taylor fights back and runs away. Yeah, he's almost like comic. This is almost like a Scooby Doo chase here. Yeah. Taylor like happens upon a funeral. A child points him out, so now he has like a bunch of people chasing after him. Uh, there's yeah, the no, they're in the ape church. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's the obligatory fruit stand stand being destroyed in yep. the chase. So here's where they they miss him with a net like about eight times. Yeah, these guys cannot for being net <laughs> hunters. They're terrible with their nets. They need more net practice. Though I do appreciate this because I'm like, it would be hard to throw a net on somebody. Yeah, actually, it's, yeah, it's not easy. That's why you get the ones with the weighted balls and you learn how to throw it so it spreads out in the air. Or get that net gun. That <laughs> or, yeah, I'll do the net gun. You. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the balls on there. It throws it at you for you. <laughs> yeah, and it looks evil when you're carrying it around and pointing it at people. Like, what's that? It's Oh, it's a net gun. I thought it was going to, like, vaporize that person. <laughs> Uh, Taylor runs into a museum of humans. There's also some like dinosaur bones are around, uh, which they don't they don't talk about that. No. <laughs> uh, Taylor spots a dead Dodge is just being posed in the museum. Yeah, he's like stuffed. Like, yeah. Like his eyes are like white and milky, like he's been <laughs> stuffed like a deer. Uh, although the, I, I think the although the, what I don't know, it makes it weirder. It's distracting because it seemed like oh these are supposed to be like, you know stuff people or mannequins of humans but clearly these people cannot stand still because they're clearly like moving yeah they didn't like (laughs) actually make a wax dummy so the guys just got to stand there like this uh which i'm like wait are they like convincing these humans they need to stand still or are these stuffed humans (laughs) it's it's like how far are we going to go with this yeah Uh, but looking at dodge it's like oh no it's like a stuffed human well you remember the head they made an an alien of ash yeah you had to re, you had to reshoot that because like they made the head of of um oh, what was the actor's name um oh he was bilbo um not the younger one the older one he died recently i can't think of his name anyway yeah 
Uh, yeah, and then they made the the thing. Uh, they made the mold of his head, and then it like shrunk, and it wasn't convincing at all. <laughs> so they had to like do quick cuts with it, because when you know when she puts Ash back together, because his head gets knocked off with a fire extinguisher, and he's one of those weird <laughs> robots with the white gel inside him or whatever. And then she like has to, she's like wiring him up, but putting his head on the table. Well, that thing they had to film that really quick because it was just a mold of his head that shrunk. <laughs> and so then they just kind of did a quick cut and then he animates and it's like oh yeah it's just his head through the table it's the actor doing that but uh, Ian yeah. Holm Ian Holm that's it yeah um, so they did yeah so that's why they didn't you know they didn't cast a mold of this guy actually if they did make a mold of this guy and it shrunk it would make sense because it's like well yeah he's stuffed <laughs> yeah they don't have any refrigeration yeah. <laughs> it's just, just you know just wilting uh, uh, Taylor runs out and he's like surrounded by apes like essentially the entire town is out there they finally get him with a net <laughs> and kind of like start it's, but it's like over an archway so they're like well, yeah the chimpanzees kind of corner him with a like a, having a food fight with him <laughs> yeah uh, and then they, they like start over the top they can throw the net because Ape City which is what I'm going to call it because it was never given a name as far as yeah. I know is like this weird organic city. Like it looks like it was, it's a bunch of weird organic uh, cement shapes. <laughs> like it was carved yeah. out of rock or something. Uh, and so there's all kinds of like bridges and high places, which would kind of make sense for for people that were like the more direct descendants of apes. But these people just walk around and move like humans. Like they're not yeah. swinging around in trees <laughs> like you know like we think of apes. So. So yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of pulling them up like at, from the arcs, and they're like holding them up in the air. Zero tries to help Taylor, but like a guard pushes her away, and then that guard goes and grabs Taylor. And this is where he, he's the famous line: "Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape!" <laughs> so this is where everyone's shocked by like, "Oh, he can speak!" Like, "Oh my God, what does that mean for all of the rest of time?" And you think like, well, now he's going to get like some real clothes and they're going to work together to solve some problems. But no. <laughs> now Zayas still cast doubt. Yeah, he's just mimicking. <laughs> he's just a parrot. <laughs> he's just a meat parrot. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to Taylor's back in his cell with Nova. The guards come in with a hose and like keep Taylor back with the hose and they take Nova away. Or I guess they just put her in a cage across the room so they can't just have all the sex he wants yeah. <laughs> in between <laughs> there's also another famous line because he's just like it's a madhouse a madhouse. yeah he's like getting a fire hose which is like <laughs> for the tech this society has that's weird like how are they pressurizing water like that like, yeah. you know, they don't because yeah, i don't weird, even see like steam technology in evidence here really yeah yeah i mean that's the kind of the, the thing of this is like you you don't get a you don't get a taste of like how things work here because it seems like it seemed fairly primitive, like it seemed even less than medieval times. But then, of course, like then guns show up and they have technologies like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's like a combination of like the 18th century, but with no like steam or anything. But then I guess that makes sense if you're like this really religiously based society where they yeah. they put weird handicaps on things. Uh, you know, for no reason, because I mean, for reasons, because like I said, this is one of those shows where it's like, oh, the bad guy's like totally right. <laughs> as bad as he is, he's like, well, he's not wrong. Um, he he, he also he is the guardian of his civilization because he knows what's coming. Yeah, here's some creepy stuff about Stuart. 
He's like, she used to be our new Eve. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be three guys banging one chick, and then basically what you, what you're you going to be banging some guy's daughter like you, like 16 years later because there's no rules anymore. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, like I said, nothing does matter as long as you don't get caught. <laughs> Uh, Nova's like listening to him, but like she has no comprehension of what he's saying. Um, here, I think she smiles, which is a big thing in the book. Because when they first meet, he like smiles at Nova, think it's a friendly gesture, but like to her, it's like he's showing his teeth, so that's like a, a gesture. He's, he's of, gonna bite me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then later on in the book, she like she like learns that as being like a kind of like an endearing thing, like oh smiling. It's like it's like oh my god, she learned smiling. <laughs> it's like did she? <laughs> then the guards take taylor away taylor's being put on trial uh yeah they're having a doctors. weird like soviet show trial of taylor <laughs> organized by zayas yeah but even he's like you know what's even on trial here what's he guilty of and it's like but it really ends up being like what's it, a trial about like zero and corneo's heresy yeah it's like essentially a... heresy yeah <laughs> Dr. Zayas is the minister of science and the defender of the faith. <laughs> uh, but there's also a president there, so he's not necessarily like the most high, highest up guy, but he seems to be has the most important task of keeping society in check. Yeah, he's like uh, under the ministry of science and God or whatever, which is like, yeah, that's a good... You know your <laughs> society's going the right direction when you have one of those ministries. That's a good push-pull. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a combination of things. Seems like these should be separate. <laughs> no, this is how we maintain balance. What? Because I have to prove things with science, and you can just say Sky Man. It's like great. Yeah, that's that's gonna be a fun argument to have all the time. <laughs> I think fire is good. We can make metal with it. But Sky Man says it's like oh, <laughs> Well, how's Sky Man gonna back that up? What does he know about the crystalline structure of iron and how to make it into steel? Like you know, carbonizing it with coal. And it's like well. It's not allowed. <laughs> why? It's like because rules. It's like, oh, that's why I love like religiously like like the concepts of religiously ordered societies. Is like oh my god. I mean, it did work for a long time when like nobody could read and write, and people thought like elves were coming out of the wood and stealing stuff from them. And it's like, well, we got to sacrifice the village virgin for the bean harvest to come in. It was like, no, it's better to stop doing that and replace that with other bullshit. But the fact that we have stuff floating around the atmosphere or uh, the fact that we have stuff floating around our our planet that makes what we're doing right now possible and yet we still have to have religious arguments even today <laughs> that strikes me as really weird at this point is like huh <laughs> well technically in this process satellites aren't involved but <laughs> well they help but, make it know, happen at some yeah. point <laughs> I mean, one of the judges doesn't like that Taylor's clothes doesn't like his tattered clothes or that it smells, so they strip him of his clothes. Uh, but he just kind of holds on and covers up his junk. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's more an effort is the trials, like, what's more the trials about is spending effort on studying humans and, like, we should stop this. Uh, Taylor's examined, but he's, like, railroaded for, like, not knowing the culture of the apes. <laughs> yeah, he's basically, like, you know, you know, answer questions about, like, uh, you know, our, our, our uh, religion or whatever, like who is the great teacher and what, you know, it's like, just, of course he's not going to know that. <laughs> I mean, they, they did that a lot in the Soviet Union. That's why I say this is a Soviet 
show trial because I remember when uh, Gorbachev, uh, he had said stuff at like the student union when he was a student uh, in Moscow that they didn't like. He got put on like some kind of trial, like not a big one, but a little one. And they were like challenging him. It's like, well, what does Marx say about this? And he started quoting Marx and giving like text citations. But like, you can find that in the, you know, the short course Karl Marx book three or whatever. It was total horseshit. He was making it up. He was making up references. But everyone on the committee was like, well, your knowledge of Marxism is very impressive. We're, we're going to give you a pass here. And he's like, yeah, great. Now, that's where Gorbachev learned to be a politician right there. It's, cause it's like, oh, you just lie and make it sound convincing. The, the, the courtroom head off to look at other captured humans because he's like, ah, Landon's going to break it. We have another intelligent human. But they get to Landon and he's just been lobotomized so he can't talk. Uh uh, they get dragged back into the court. Cornelius is trying to like use his expertise of the Forbidden Zone to try and like argue that Taylor is from the Forbidden Zone rather than from space, because like, well, at least they can kind of understand that. Yeah. Um, and then the judges do the whole "see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil." Literally, thing. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the tribunal is adjourned, which usually that means there's going to be another thing, but here it just seems like the trial's over. Yeah. <laughs> so. I don't know. Is that the same thing? Is a journey the same as like a break and an end, or what? Or is well, it means they will hear no more arguments on the matter. Okay. Uh, they, I don't know if they've rendered judgment, but I don't know if they do that in this because I think what Zayas wants is, is, is like, yeah, you're getting, you know, you're, you're. It's gonna one flew over the cuckoo's nest time for you. <laughs> but yeah, things don't look good for Taylor. Taylor's brought before Doctor Zayas, who like for a one-on-one talk and. They're going to do brain surgery on Taylor if he can't convince Zayas of the truth. Um, Zayas wants to know like where all the mutants are because that's kind of his thing. It's like, well, I can't believe a spaceman, but if it's a mutant human, like we got to get rid of those. <laughs> they talk about the eastern desert has not been explored because it's assumed life cannot live there. And then Taylor's taken away, so that's the end of Act 2 because it's like, well, he's about to be have his brain scrambling. Uh, so come back to Act 3. Uh, a chimpanzee comes in saying that Taylor's being transferred to the zoo. Uh, the the chimp is on Taylor's side, and so they like knock out the guard together. Taylor insists on Nova coming with them, and then they run outside, and Zero shows up, and she's displeased that Nova's along. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they lock them in the back of a carriage, and they ride ride out till dawn. We cut to it's morning. They're traveling in the woods. They cross paths with Cornelius, who has some extra horses. They give Taylor, like, gun and supplies, but then they all just, like, move together anyways. And uh, Zero and, uh, and Cornelius are going to run away as well because they're, now they're wanted for heresy. But now they're all going to go look for the ruins that Cornelius found so they can, like, you know, figure out what's going on here. Uh, there's a moment where Nova recognizes something familiar and they have to, like, pull her away. She's like, no, I want to go over there. <laughs> Let me cut to, like, we're, now we're in the forbidden zone that has been declared by religious means. Yeah. Uh, they're riding along the shore. They set up camp at the beach. There's like BC platforms and, and ladders there. I'm not sure if like Cornelius built all those or if these are just the ruins of human civilization. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, this is where things get really weird because it's like, well, it's a forbidden zone, but we know some things that are there. There's ruins that indicate there was an earlier civilization, maybe of human origin, but that's heresy. But we're also investigating it and people seem to know about it. <laughs> And then Dr. Zayas and his, and his gorilla show up. Uh, Taylor shoots at some snipers and pins them down, and then he threatens Dr. Zayas, and so Zayas t tells all the guards to leave. Uh, then Taylor negotiates a way to like free 
uh, Zira and Cornelius, if he can like provide evidence that there's another civilization other than apes. And, uh, Dr. Zayas is like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, if you convince me. So they go into the cave. Yeah, if you can convince what? me as a religious leader of your heresy, like, <laughs> cool, yeah. So I already know like who's going to win this. I hold both uh, cards. They go into the cave. There's like woods and ladders and platforms and everything, which can, I don't know if this is like humans did this or Cornelius did this because he's like, Cornelius had been F, 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 excavating the area and having like different and dating things to different eras. So I hear like Cornelius gives a case that the more ancient culture is the more advanced one, meaning human cult, like the human society is more advanced and older than the ape society. Uh, they also point out like a doll that's of, of ancient humans. And then Taylor starts pointing out like, oh, here's false teeth, glasses, and a heart valve. Because uh, I don't think we've seen any eights of glasses, so maybe they haven't discovered that yet. They, go, they got guns. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nova like squeezes a doll and it says mama. And so that throws everything for a loop because, you know, it's a doll that says words and humans don't talk. So, yeah, uh, the, the, the apes come back around again and attack Taylor and his group. Taylor gets a hold of Zayas and holds him hostage again. Uh, the guards withdraw again. Uh, Taylor ties Zayas to some driftwood. Here, T Taylor susses out that Cornelius knew that civilization of man existed for apes the whole time, and this is just like this ruse he has to keep up because it's protecting the society somehow. So, um, Well, no, he has him read from the holy book in his pocket because <laughs> their their philosopher says, you know, it's like, was it like the way of the man is is damnation or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it's something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, man will fight itself. So yeah, here it's like as long as apes are like fighting against humans who are just pretty much shooting fish in a barrel, everything will be okay because the apes aren't fighting themselves. Yeah, the apes don't seem to be like in contention with each other. So, yeah. Oh, that they were and there is, but. All that's all Dr. Zayas' thing is here is to keep all that under check as much as possible so they yeah. fight themselves. Uh, Taylor gets this, uh, yeah, yeah, he puts in meth or he puts in some, uh, what do you call it, demands and he gets a supply of horses and food and 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 bullets. And so he says goodbye to everyone. He gives Zira a kiss, but she's like, sure, but you're so damned ugly. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's a, th I guess there's a whole thing. It's more actually more so in the book about the. Re there's kind of this tension. I'm not sure if sexual is the way, but intimate tension between Dr. Zira and, and well, in the book it's Ulysses, but you know, Taylor here. So, yeah. Um, Cause she's like, you know, he's smarter than everyone. So he's more interesting to Zira than everybody else. Uh, but yeah, also, I know, guess, I guess in some passes of the script, there was talk about maybe having a romantic thing, but then yeah. that was like, everyone's like, that would actually be bestiality. At that. So <laughs> it's like, you can't have that. Ah, they're two intelligent beings. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, <laughs> two, two, two yeah. consenting intelligent consenting beings. adult creatures. Yeah, yeah, actually, the weird thing. No, no, Taylor having sex with Nova—that's bestiality. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> truly. <laughs> but if you're following any kind of biology, and you know about like apes and, and humans, uh, you know, well, is, is humans as as apes as hominids like are. Uh, male humans have the uh, humans have the largest genitals of all the apes, <laughs> like orders of magnitude larger than they need to be on both men and women. And because you like, you know, you think like a, a gorilla 
is like, oh, man, they're just hung like a horse. It's like, no, it's about the size of your pinky, actually, because it doesn't <laughs> have to be. I forget why. I think it's because of the climates we lived in and the fact we don't, like, keep warm with the fur. It's like everything's, like, oversized and big. And, and it's like, <laughs> so, yeah, if you follow that evolutionary track, it's like, no, that'd just be brutal. <laughs> be like a woman getting screwed by a horse or something. It's like, but you have to, you know, that's why they didn't explore it, because it just gets too weird. Yeah. Just get wrapped around the axle of biology, so. But it's also weird Harry he kisses, kisses her in front of Cornelius. It's like, dude, like they're a thing. But I don't know. I guess also at this time, kisses were more innocent. So you know. yeah, yeah, it does. Well, they weren't like tongue kissing. You know, it's like. Yeah. I've got to say goodbye to you the French way. It's like, what? <laughs> Just put my tongue in your throat. Uh. They start running off. The guards start chasing them, and the Zaius is like, "Nah, now nah, let him go." But also, like, yeah, I like Zaius's yeah. like last shot at Taylor. It's like, yeah, you're not gonna like anything you find out there. <laughs> and Taylor's like, "Yeah, we'll see." And Zaius is nodding, like, "Yeah, you will." <laughs> <laughs> and then they blow up the cave, so there's no more evidence of, hu- of humans in there. And, and Zir and Cornelius are gonna be put on trial for heresy. Yeah, they're basically gonna anyway. be killed, as far as we know. <laughs> like, oh, they're just gonna be crucified. What's gonna happen? <laughs> Thanks, uh, friends. Taylor... See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor and Nova keep moving along the beach. It's a pretty long sequence here, so it's not just immediate. And then they happen upon a structure, which you don't see just yet. And Taylor dismounts. Is oh my god, I'm back. I'm home all the time. It was. Or, yeah, I'm home all this time. It was, and he drops to his knees. We, we finally, we really did it. You maniacs, you blew it all up. I mean, well, not, no, we didn't blow it, I don't know. God damn you, God damn you all to hell. <laughs> and here it's fully revealed that it's a Statue of Liberty buried halfway on the beach and it's dirty and falling apart. Yeah. And then just fade out, and that's the end of the movie. It's left to let, left to let you contemplate they're on Earth the whole time. <laughs> Now, how do you think? Now, now, do you think the erosion and weird stuff happened in the Statue of Liberty? Do you think land grew around the Statue of Liberty? Do you think it floated off into the the ocean somehow, or do you think they're like humans were moving it at one point and it just got fell on a beach? <laughs> I, it, yeah, it could be any of those things. <laughs> it could be the ocean like receded out to Ellis Island, and it's, it's like its pedestal is down there somewhere. I mean, you don't know. You know, and, and the uh, the Statue of Liberty on the beach, I'm probably more familiar and seen more of uh, the Spaceballs version of it. Yeah. <laughs> but we have so, no you know, idea, yeah. like, how the world was destroyed. At least not... Yeah. If we just stop with this movie, it's like, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. really know, like... It was, I mean, it, I imagine at the time. I mean, also, he's saying you blew it all up. I think It's nuclear war. Yeah, nuclear war screwed probably. up. Probably. But you know, as our as we've gone on and our understanding of things has evolved, it's like, well, nuclear war is unlikely to be like the extermination event. It's like, yeah, the Western Hemisphere would be a really weird place to live for a while, <laughs> but you know, it's not. We we don't have that kind of power at our fingers. Uh, we can ruin a lot of, shit, but total destruction is like that's more like disease or something like that, or well, you asteroids or you know those kind of things. How far did you get in the original movies? I I think I've only seen bits of like, I've like that one where they're talking to a computer in a cave. I saw that one. The second one. Yeah, the second one, one they're they running have... around like the 
the subway system of New York and they're worshiping a nuclear bomb in the end yeah. of it. And it's like, I don't remember a lot of it. That's because I know and Charlton I know Heston showed on. up for like five minutes of that one. It's like, I have and to I know do there was this. a later one, which even had a cheaper budget where they have like a bunch of people in eight costumes and like with rifles and revolting in like modern day times. I never saw that one, but I've seen shots of it. I think that's like the fourth or fifth one or something. Yeah, like I, they're increasingly bleak as time goes on. I think like somehow Dr. Zira and Dr. Cornelius like come back to Earth in the 70s. and Yeah, uh, they get sent back in time. And they have yeah. a baby and then they get yeah. killed at the end, but the baby lives and that becomes the thing that uh, rises up and leads the revolt because they just start cloning those apes and, and use them as slaves um and yeah so it's like it's a whole cycle but like i said it just gets increasingly bleak and weird and incoherent as time goes on i think there is a mention of like there's some disease that are affecting humans and not apes well that's in the new ones yeah but i know i think there's like a kernel of it in the old ones oh okay i didn't know about that okay uh but again i haven't because it's in that one where they have the modern day apes revolting against humans um, so I don't know, I, I, but I believe that's like a kernel that brought forward. Yeah, and the new ones, it's like, yeah, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then like, um, they're trying, yeah, they're trying to use apes to like cure dementia and stuff. Um, and then that's just kind of like a modern day movie where like you know like you have an ape becoming more intelligent, and then other apes becoming intelligent around it. Because was that an experiment or was that just apes getting more intelligent? No, they was doing an experiment to reverse the effects of dementia okay. by regrowing. Because the dementia is basically the failure of, of brain material to function correctly. And so I believe they did an experiment and like rejuvenated brain material in humans. But it just made the brains work better in apes. And then it also had this transgenic effect of becoming a disease that made all apes smarter. <laughs> because it, and it made humans dumber. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, oh, okay, so that's like the whole... Yeah, because the first movie's normal, and then the second movie's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, where it's just like, oh, full apocalypse has happened, human civilizations collapsed, and this disease has ravaged everything. Yeah. Um, and other stuff. It's not just like this disease made humans dumb. It's also like well, like famine and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there was, just... there was like nuclear war in that, too, but that came like, that was the third or fourth thing after people starved to death. <laughs> I was like, yeah, then you start throwing nukes around. It's like, yo, then you could conceivably wipe everyone out because, you know, if four billion people are already dead, it's a lot less numbers to hit. Uh, then you have War for the Planet of the Apes, which that's the end of that one, where it's basically all, at that, basically by the end of that movie, there's no intelligent human life left. Yeah. <laughs> but still thousands of years away from the civilization portrayed in this movie. So Yeah. Or I guess you know, like fifteen hundred years, seventeen or whatever. Um, but those movies are really good. That's a good series. Yeah, that's that's actually a good one. This is the only real good one I would remember or recommend out of these. Yeah, the originals. Yeah. Yeah. This one um, I liked. All the other ones I've seen them like once, and it's like, oh, they're just more bleak and depressing as time goes on. Uh, well, we're sending a probe into space to, to catch up with this, this with this crew here to spin them around and send them back to Earth. Uh, actually, I guess uh, I guess you tell they need a book. So yeah, of course this is changed from the book, but the, also the book has like four different surprise endings as well. So this is totally in theme with the book because uh, in the book they leave they they leave 
the planet of the apes, and they go back to Earth, and then when they get off the ship on Earth, there's apes have taken over Earth. Okay. So it's a similar thing. And then, and so they get on a ship and they leave Earth. It's like it was taken over by apes. And then it's also further revealed that the rich couple at the at the beginning of it, uh, they they're reading the story because it's all the story of Ulysses or the Taylor character. And they're like, "Oh, that's funny. Humans aren't intelligent, and like they are apes." So the whole framework is like it's like a double reveal that like, oh, apes control the entire universe. It's not just one planet. Oh, okay. Uh, and then in the Tim Burton version. It's the Tim Burton version is more closer to the book. They get they get off the planet. It is in a completely another planet, and then they go back to Earth, and then they instead of Statue of Liberty, they think they're back on Earth and everything's okay, and then apes start showing up, and they go look at the uh, Lincoln the, uh, Memorial. Yeah, and then it's a, there's an ape head on there, um, which then there was some contention between Tim Burton and uh, Kevin Smith because he had made a a comic book with the same concept of abraham lincoln <laughs> oh okay <laughs> before they put that movie out nothing happened you know he's not gonna sue tim burton <laughs> so, it's just but. so funny yeah he just yeah he's he's not uh yeah let's uh kevin smith is not harlan ellison <laughs> he will humorously point out that yeah he made a he, he, kevin smith made a career of of talking about star wars so you know he's like <laughs> Like my career is based on another career. I'm not gonna bite the hand that feeds me. And he has great story. Well, I guess not about Tim Burton, but I guess his his super the whole production around his Superman movie was hilarious. I still love that story. Can we get rid of the whole flying thing? It's like it's <laughs> Superman. What? Uh, so, Resident Evil in Space contains a supercut of seeds for the imperfect collection of Verhoeven effect. Uh, Nathan, what scene from Planet of the Apes are we shoving in his face? Oh, it's. There's three iconic scenes in this movie, but we're going to have to do Get Your Hands Off Me. <laughs> because if we just do the end, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I also like It's a Madhouse. Yeah. But we have to go with Get Your Filthy Hands Off Me. Uh, so you can find us on Letterboxd. Oh, Letterboxd. Okay. We're on Letterboxd. Our, our account name is VHE. Very simple, very, very easy. So if you search for that name, you'll find us there. So Nathan, one out of five stars. What do you give Planet of the Apes? Four stars. A solid four. One of those stars is for nostalgia. Three of those is for it, the production, the movie, and it's it's uh, what do they say in the Library of Congress? It's cultural significance. <laughs> Well, if you like what you heard, how can you? You can find us at verhoveneffect.com. You can also find us almost everywhere where you get podcasts, and you can rate our podcast whatever you want on that platform of your choice. You can rate us whatever you want, but the only thing the algorithm listens to is the highest rating. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. We also have listener support at verhoveneffect.com. You can support it at the monthly segment on 99 cents, 49.99, or 9.99. Cancel anytime. Find us at Twitter at verhoveneffect. You can find us on Facebook at verhoveneffect. You can find us on Letterboxd. Just type in VHE. <laughs> You'll bring it up. Uh, and you can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. You can watch both this and that show live and unedited. And we also have t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verum Podcast, I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America.